Okay, so there was a couple of things I didn't realize I was behind on, and I was frantically trying to put that together. Uh, a big thank you. Uh, there is a link down at the bottom of the description right now. In future episodes, uh, I will make sure that it is more readily available. But to that new opening music, uh, which was done by the wonderful Lucy Fur's son, uh, uh, Ty, I Oh, shoot, am I forgetting his name right now? I think his name is Ty. I might be messing it up. I feel like the biggest jerk in the world right now. Uh, but his channel is down there, and that new opening music is uh, by him and was just wonderful and awesome, and I wanted to share that all with you. But otherwise, welcome to Modern Day Atheism. Remember that Modern Day Atheism, while it goes out live on usually Saturday, we've, we've switched it up sometimes, uh, is also available in podcast form on iTunes, Google Play, something called Stitcher, which I am still assured exists and yet have had zero interaction with. Uh, and I think it's on Spotify, too. So those are those are all the wonderful places that you can find it. We are today joined by the most wonderful of guests. Everyone, please meet Samantha from Zelf on the Shelf. Samantha, would you like to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about your channel? And by the way, his name is Enfo, but uh, his name is also Blake. Blake and Enfo. Enfo is him on YouTube. I really screwed that up. Okay, Samantha, sorry, go ahead. Hi, I'm Samantha. Um, I am one half of the channel Zelf on the Shelf. We're mostly a ex-Mormon atheism channel. Um, I joined Mormonism when I was 17 in England and left it about five years later. And uh, now just trying to tear it down. <laughs> we are those, those uh, horrific anti-Mormons your parents told you about. Uh, a fun announcement is that the other half of Zelf on the Shelf, Tanner, will actually be here next Saturday. So we basically, we split Woo. them up. I really thought about taking that image of the two of you where I think Tanner's got his like hand behind his head. It's like the one that's also become a cartoon. I thought about making the thumbnail like crossing him out and putting me over <laughs> top. Just like Mr. Steal Your Channel. Uh, that's, that's, that's the direction I almost, almost took it. Um, Actually, on that topic of being an anti-Mormon, for people who don't know, do you want to actually kind of cover what the attitude is about, like, about being an anti-Mormon is, before we get to the main topic, like, what it, that phrase that I said, uh, again, for the people who didn't grow up Mormon and don't know in the chat, that is a thing, that's a word that's used in the church, anti-Mormon, and it has a whole attitude and connotation behind it. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so not to be conflated with something like, you know, anti-Semitism, which is, I think, what the Mormons hope that you'll conflate it with. But basically in the Mormon church, any criticism of Mormonism can be considered anti-Mormon. And it's uh, one of those things where, you know, if you're in the group and you're criticizing the church, it's not quite as bad. You won't be labeled that. But if you're, if you're the other, if you're not in the tribe, then, uh, yeah, you can get the anti-Mormon label pretty easily just for criticizing the church's teachings or truth claims or, you know, even trying to protect LDS children from potentially sexually abusive bishops, anything. Yeah. Um, and growing up for me, anti-Mormon, it was almost like the entire world exists in a Mormon versus anti-Mormon dichotomy. And anything that would be Mormon is true. Anything that is anti-Mormon is false. So whenever somebody says anything like for example if you brought up the kinderhook plates which are these these plates that joseph smith 
uh, pretended he could translate and they were actually trying to pull a goof on Joseph, proving that he was making it all up and he fell for it. If you were to bring up that story of something that actually did happen and someone in the church says the story you shared was anti-Mormon, basically to a good Mormon, they just mean that they just immediately assume that means it's a lie, that that story is in fact a lie. Uh, and so it's synonymous with liar being anti-Mormon. It's also synonymous with being like miserable and evil and loving your sin and that you have to like tear down the church because you're miserable and misery loves company. I like, I heard that one. Did you ever hear the, the, that that's why we do what we do? Yes, of course. <laughs> it's a great way that they poison the well because, um, you know, you can recommend a resource to a Mormon and they'll say, oh, I th that's written by an anti-Mormon. And so instantly the idea that someone is kind of inherently critical of the church or, you know, has this anti-Mormon label, it means nothing. It can be trusted. Um, a lot of stuff that the church now admits as true in their apologetic essays and in other ways was once labeled anti-Mormon by church leaders and stuff. So, yeah, great yeah. poisoning the world. And it's, um, part of they also do it with like people who leave the church apostates as they're called uh, basically they they build this um, idea in your mind that anyone who left the church is miserable and if you leave you'll be miserable and like you know you need to figure out the ways that they're actually miserable even though they might seem like happy for the first time in their lives you have yeah. to condescend to them and be like, okay, but for real, like really, have you, have you yeah. encountered that with family and friends yet? Yeah. Me and Tana get a lot of comments, um, on videos where we could just be laughing and joking. Maybe it's like some satire song that we've done something really light. Even we'll get yeah. comments being like, I can just tell that you guys are not happy. You guys seem miserable. We get a lot of you guys seem miserable, even though in every video we're usually pretty like, Fun yeah. and happy. Yeah, which you you seem actually real happy and not the kind of happy we're programmed to portray <laughs> growing up in the church so that anyone who sees us sees us as an example of Jesus Christ. Um, it's it's the it's the funniest thing, though, like w with that same you have to be miserable. They will latch on to things that might actually not be going good as though that's proof. But yeah. No one makes the claim that leaving the church removes your human experience. So they'll totally ignore, for example, that like I have issues with chronic illness and I have mental illness uh, issues as well. All of those existed. And honestly, on the mental side, were the worst they ever were when I when I was in the Mormon church. In fact, depression is something I still hit every now and then. But I was in an existential state of depression because I was being force fed an identity that was incompatible with the actual kind of person I wanted to be. And so as far as being like super depressed and extremely suicidal, that's what my existence inside the church was like. But now on the other side of this, having this channel, when I talk about like, yeah, I've been going through some health issues and I've been kind of depressed, people will latch onto that as though that that wouldn't exist if I were just in the church still and it's such it's such bullshit yeah i've noticed some of the uh some of the mormons on twitter who are more aggressive uh, towards people that are critical of the church they will use mental health as like a stick to beat ex-mormons with um yeah. 
So I think a big thing with a lot of people that have left the Mormon church, or at least the people I know, is we're big into mental health advocacy because we recognize how much religions like Mormonism kind of teach you to repress a lot of your feelings, and that's just fundamentally so damaging. Um, and, you know, you can't repress depression. Like, it's going to come out, it's going to potentially come out way worse if it's something you're refusing to kind of fully acknowledge and accept. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely, it's interesting how, you know, again, me and Tana, we're very happy, but we also are pretty open about mental health stuff, um, maybe especially me online. And But it's interesting how Mormons will will tweet us and say, oh, you say you're the happiest you've ever been, but yet you still experience depression as if the two right. are, In, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and yeah. that's exact same with me. I am genuinely right now. The place I am in my life is the place I most want to be, especially compared to any other iteration of me from the past. And I am the happiest I've ever been. I still have very real life problems. Chronic illness is still a fucking bitch to deal with. But there is no part of that old life, especially once you've once you've pulled away the veil, for lack of a better metaphor, and you clearly see how wrong you were. It's not just a matter of like, I think I think that's another thing people in the church don't understand. I think they think there's a big conflict in us and we're like, okay, here is something yeah. that was hard to reconcile and like it's still hard, but I'm I'm gonna err on the side of this seems unlikely. When it's like once you're out and you you take off those cult glasses, you're literally just looking at fact after fact of holy crap, how did I believe in any of this at any point when it is so clearly a fabrication thought up by a convicted charlatan. Yep. <laughs> it's interesting. I think when people first leave the church, because um, for a lot of people that grew up in it, there's still so much deprogramming to happen, even after they've logically realized that it's false. Um, there is that degree of, you know, maybe initially not being completely, um, what's the word, like firm in that decision. And, and that's where Mormons, I think, can sort of try and sway people and get them into coming back. But anyway, but the, the longer you're out of the church, the more you deprogram and learn more and, you know, put even more puzzle pieces together. It just gets more and more incredulous to the point where this thing that was obviously false when you first left is even more obviously false the more time goes on. I think it's too why a lot of us, um, a lot of ex-Mormons end up in Honestly, they end up as atheists, but they also end up in skepticism because it's like when you realize the level to which you are bamboozled, uh, the level to which you were tricked and fooled and programmed, yeah. you never want to let that happen again. So you go and you seek after the skills that will prevent that. And with skepticism, uh, it's like it's really hard to become a skeptic, learn all the ways in which you were wrong about Mormonism, and then look at other religions and not see the parallels of those things. So it's like, yeah, these other religions aren't appealing because I can see, while they do it to a lesser effect, the way they are using behavior control, information control, thought control, uh, e-control. I always forget what the letter E stands for in the BITE model. Emotion <laughs> control? I think it is. Anyway, I that the bite model being the, the thing that uh, and Telltale and I are are working on a bite model breakdown. We've done two parts, and we are releasing the third part this coming week. 
Um, and yeah, it's a, a, a bite model breakdown of not just like, is Mormonism a cult? Like, yes, it is. Here's why. And here's an actual like score. Uh, here's a way to mathematically assess it and score it out. But yeah, it's, and, but it is emotion control, by the way, that's, uh, that is correct. Um, uh, what were we t speaking about just the moment before that? It's, it's amazing. Oh, skepticism. It, it's amazing how like people think that we must be extra wrong because we didn't switch to another religion. We went all the way to atheism as though that means we want to be Satan worshiping he heathens. Well, I mean, I do like being a heathen, uh, but as though we are, are chasing the exact opposite of what they think is a good person. Uh, and they don't, yeah. they don't realize it's, <laughs> there's not really, there's not really a good argument for most religions once you leave Mormonism or the concept and usefulness of religion. Mormons will always say to ex-Mormons, so what greater truth have you found? Like what new thing do you believe in? And it's like, that doesn't really matter. You don't have to yeah. have found anything new that you believe in. You've just determined that this thing you believed in isn't true. But I right. think when you're in that paradigm of like, there's one true church, there's one true way, they think, oh, well, you must have switched for some other way that you think is more true instead of just like abandoning what's not true. Yeah. It's also funny how in talking about poisoning the well, they set you up for like, they try and teach you that all of these things are clear signs of bad people, which is why to a Mormon actually in the church, you don't just think drinking coffee is bad. You judge people poorly for drinking coffee, even who aren't in the church, but mostly because mm. you like think all of these studies exist that you make up on the spot. You think <laughs> they actually exist. And so when somebody leaves the church, it's easy enough for you to be like, oh, yep, saw them drinking coffee. And now there's no one needs to know whether or not you're off the deep end in the Mormon church. They assume now that it's been confirmed you're drinking coffee. Well, there's a sign that if, if, if he had left and maintained being a good person, wouldn't drink coffee. And then it gets even worse when it's things like drinking alcohol or smoking marijuana or uh, or and this kind of brings us to today's topic. Or, for example, switching to tank tops, like wearing tank tops in public. Like, oh, God, your shoulders. You must be just the worst person in the world now. Um, I, I guess speak to that a little bit and we'll switch into the uh, uh, the main topic. Oh, I remember I went to college at Brigham Young University, Idaho, the, the worst Mormon school. And uh, it's in Rexburg, so very, it's exclusively just a college town, basically. Um, there's not a lot there. And I remember if I saw someone wearing a tank top at the Walmart, you know, a little thing goes off in my head and I'm like, that's weird, because this is like a completely Mormon town. Like, why is that person wearing a t You know, it's like such an yeah. absurd amount of thinking <laughs> went yeah. into just seeing someone wearing a tank top at Walmart. Yeah, exactly. Um, do as you as you left, did you see any of those sort of same things projected onto you? Like, hey, I noticed you're doing the even like from people who didn't necessarily know you were out of the church yet. Like, I noticed you posted a photo wearing a bikini or anything like that. Did you have any of those experiences? So um, because I wasn't raised Mormon, I didn't have, you know, much family stuff to or any family stuff to deal with related to leaving. Um, I was very 
public and open about leaving as soon as I had. So there weren't really anyone, there wasn't really anyone that didn't know that was like deducing it through, you know, bikini photos. But I do have a lot of friends who, you know, they'd left the church. They maybe hadn't felt comfortable telling, you know, some random aunt or whoever it was. And they post a photo on Instagram wearing shorts or some tank top. And then they're getting a message like, hey, it kind of seems like um, you're going through something right now. I just want to make sure that, you know, absurd, absurd. Yeah. Deducing so much about them. Um, And I guess it's true. Like it kind of is an indication of uh, lowered devotion to the Mormon church. But it's it's sad how how much they think about the way people dress. Have you had people unprompted message you to bear their testimony to you? Oh, yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. That one was that was my favorite. When I first left, uh, I actually found it the other day and I thought about reading the back and forth on air, but it felt rude. But I actually found uh, somebody who like just hits my DMs. I, I probably posted something, but it was just like immediately condescending. Like, I know somebody's probably hurt you in the church or something, but you should know the church is true. And I know that it's true. And but and, and I was just sitting there like, first of all, I used to talk like you. What you think you know is a belief. Not a, it's not knowledge. Um, and yeah, it was just it was so, so condescending. Just the like, obviously, somebody hurt you. And I can tell that's why you left. And we talked about this before. I liked the way you worded it so much that I kept stealing the way you worded it. Uh, but for the record, I did I did credit you uh, uh, when I did. But we talked about before, like, uh, uh, and and I and I'd have you explain it out. The like what the process is. They think we leave because we want to leave. What actually happens? Yeah. Well, the the general assumption within Mormonism is if someone leaves, they want to sin or they're offended. Um, but for a lot of people like me, um, you know, it's that you've you've studied this stuff, you've encountered new evidence that doesn't align with what you think are, you know, true claims of the church. And it's kind of an agonizing process where you're trying to find answers and get to a point of increased faith, you know, resolving these issues, becoming more faithful. It's just a test of faith, blah, blah, blah. But then it just takes you further and further away and it becomes more and more impossible that the church is true. And it's a genuine grieving process for a lot of people leaving Mormonism. Like it's as with leaving any cult or high demand religion, when your entire worldview is one thing and then that's shattered and shown to be wrong, you do have to grieve. Like you're losing a community because, you know, Mormons are a very like you're either in or you're out kind of group even though they are generally nice to outsiders, it's not the same when someone's been in the group and left the group. That's different from how they would treat just someone who's not in the group and has never been in the group. Um, So yeah, there's that loss of community. You've lost your God, which for a lot of people, that was their guiding force their whole lives. And that is not something that your brain kind of gives up easily, um, even if you logically, you know, don't believe in it anymore. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of, there's a lot of grieving that has to happen. And it can yeah. be tough. The, my favorite thing you had said was that when you start investigating the church and you start the process that begins with uh, uh, that leads to your faith going away, it begins with the total bias that the church is true. And that's yeah. your starting point. 
And that's for literally all of us. It, it, I guess not all. I'm sure there yeah. are some people who left for bad reasons. But I went, I, uh, I think I already valued skepticism most of my life. And in fact, to a degree, my dad taught me it. He just turns off the same level of skepticism uh, for just his religion, basically. And so I basically hit this moment of, I'm so certain the church is true that of course I could prove it to the same level that scientific standards can be met to the same level that anything that is true can be demonstrated to be true. And I was positive that that was going to be the case, that I was going to come out of this with not just proof for myself, but proof that no one would be able to refute in the end. And totally not what ended up happening. It was hard and it was heartbreaking also. Also, I was dating an individual who at one point had like expressed some of the things they didn't like about the church. And I said to them like, well, you can dislike that, but I know it's true. And it already like done a big shutdown of an individual who wasn't a Mormon, uh, a big shutdown of somebody I um, believed I loved and and was just like so cruel to her for it. Um, and so we were still dating as I lost my faith too. And so I think there was some level of reluctance to like, part of it was I was going to prove it to her. And then you have that whole pride issue because I had learned the good old priesthood holder narcissism that comes with being a member of the church, uh, often enough anyway. Um, and so, yeah, I the whole thing, the whole thing was about proving it beyond a reasonable doubt and upon the standards that we all use daily to be sure things are true, which is testing and retesting. And, and you know, we don't, eventually we touch the stove to really see if it's hot or we use something that we trust. Uh, those kinds of standards. I actually did go back and pull this up. Uh, uh, I just want to show you like some of the condescending stuff. Um, <laughs> I So I wrote, sorry, blank. I left the church. Thank you for the invite and all that, but it is not my cup of tea anymore. And she wrote, well, you shouldn't drink tea anyway. Even if you aren't interested in the church, there are people that go and would love to see you there and would have a fun time only if you chose to. And then I and then I wrote with because they said the tea thing anyway. I was like, I actually don't drink caffeine or soda for health reasons because that's actually been true. Caffeine messes with me in a lot of ways. Um, and then she writes back when I say that, well, you sure don't have a problem going to parties. And by the way, by this time, I also wasn't drinking alcohol either because it also messes with my health stuff. Um, and so, and then I don't mean to be rude, but why did you leave the church? And I said over major differences with very important social issues to me, uh, and I've left organized religion in general. And then she wanted to know like what the social issues were. And I said, gay rights, just to begin, I am also pro-choice. Oh, I see. So you think being gay is fine and you are for abortion, which I was just going to end it there. People who are pro-choice saying that that means they are for abortion is like such a horrendous mischaracterization of it because I think pro-choice individuals it can be demonstrated are much more interested in reducing abortions to the absolute minimums they can be far more than pro-life people pro-life people want to just force you say basically put down the blanket rule so that you can't 
ever get it, but they aren't interested in the other things that actually lead to reductions in abortion. So anyway, it uh, uh, there's there's a whole lot more to it, um, and uh, and things of like, oh, I don't, I have gay friends that I don't hate. They're great people. I just don't agree with the way they live. Okay. <laughs> Well, if you don't agree with the way they live, what is it you think's great about them? Because that is part of the person. Anyway, uh, I felt I, I decided to pull it up. And I literally found the conversation because I knew her last name has, had changed by going to the search on Facebook and typing in, know the church is true, in quotes. <laughs> and I was able to find it almost immediately. I wonder if I could go through my messages and find a bunch of those. I bet I could. Yeah. Yeah. That's My a, favorite that's, is when... Uh, when you have an exchange like that and then I'll, I'll get a message from the same person a year later and they're like, hey, so um, just kind of been uh, learning some stuff about the Kinderhook plates and uh, yeah. you know, then, they, then they're like, sorry for how I was last year. But of I, course we all uh, think we know everything at the time. <laughs> it's funny because the people who like, if, if it's a person you're close with, you just move on what I'm getting at here is I kind of wish at some point my brothers would be like, by the way, sorry, we were big dicks like about this because I have a couple of brothers who left after me and we certainly had had the funniest thing about it is they are the two that I actually debated it on the phone and stuff with like they are the two that we would actually talk about it and argue about it. I do have one other brother who would argue about it except for his is his method is just sh shouting down and you really can't get him past the he says atheism is a religion and if you start to say no it's not he just yes yes it is yes 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 uh, richard dawkins is your prophet things of that nature i mean he's just a totally unreasonable guy but the only the uh the two brothers who actually came and we would exchange back and forth are the two who eventually left uh and yeah, you know, at some point it'd be nice if they sent me like a fruit basket or something. <laughs> An edible arrangement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them actually mods on this channel too. Uh, I don't see, I don't think he's here today, but if he is, hey, let me see if I can tag him. Nope, now we can talk about him all we want. Um, the broader topic I wanted to talk about though was specifically the Young Women's Organization. Uh, and I guess first thing first, because most people don't necessarily think that or don't necessarily know offhand what that is. Do you want to introduce what the Young Women's Organization is to to people listening? Yeah. So it's um, is it 12 to 18 year old girls in the Mormon church? I forget. Yeah. I mean, technically, you can leave at 18, but it's in, when you graduate high school. OK, so it's. Uh... Yeah, it's the Mormon church when I went was three hours and for the third hour every Sunday you would go to young women's and the men would go to young men's and you'd receive kind of, you know, gender specific lessons. Um, and uh, yeah, you would try and get a thing that they call, there's a young, win, young women's medallion that you can earn yeah. if you, you know, memorize enough scriptures, do enough churchy things as a whole list. Um, yeah, it's essentially just the program that teenage girls in the Mormon church are put through, very patriarchal, very focused on uh, a future of being a housewife and heavily focused on finding a husband one day and being the kind of woman a man would want and stuff like that. 
Yeah, and that's that's kind of the stuff I want to get into. And for people who are wondering about, uh, we actually have a future series that we're going to cover. I have a, a, a friend in contact who actually, she was excommunicated uh, and she went through the entire young women's thing. But she was, uh, if I remember correctly, excommunicated for, <laughs> because she seduced the bishop's daughter. Uh, uh, in reality, they were just, they were a, 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 a sexually active couple, just not uh, necessarily romantically uh, dating or anything. Uh, uh, she was excommunicated while the daughter wasn't because it was, it was her fault, basically. Everything that happened was her. So uh, that'll be something that comes down the road as well. Um, but, uh, oh, and somebody asked if I've officially been kicked out yet. No, I have not. I am still a, a, a member on the records. I could baptize you. Uh, I can bless your sacrament if you wish. Uh, I Nowadays, I would probably take greater care to make sure my hands were much more clean because I think about one of the things that like creeps me out the most when I think about what all those teenage boys are going through is like y'all took a lot of sacrament that had been prepared by hands that were jerking <laughs> off like 10 minutes prior to that. That is, <laughs> yeah, it, it was... It was, uh, but anyway, um, I, so my current plan is, uh, uh, there's going to be some kind of event happening around when I hit the 250,000 subscriber mark. And I want to do some charity event that will involve, uh, uh, ex Mormons like the lovely Zelf on the shelf and also, uh, some other people I have in mind. And I basically want to make, if we reach our goal, I will resign from the Mormon church. That's kind of my plan for <laughs> for the future but uh anyway the young women's program uh uh what was as far as so when you were talking about like working up toward a medallion like i think about <laughs> being a boy scout and you do all of these things to learn to get different badges and things of that nature uh because they were wanting to make you like the manliest man and for that it was building toward you being a leader, building toward you going on a mission, you being uh, the patriarch of a family, you being the most connected with God on behalf of your family as anyone could be. What was the ultimate goal for you uh, uh, when you when you were in the Young Women's Program? What, what were they looking to turn you into? It is kind of just a much more boring version of uh, becoming a Boy Scout or something. Like the, um, I guess we can go straight into this, but for example, I hear that in a lot of uh, US Mormon congregations, the amount of funding that goes to the young men is just an enormously higher than the amount of funding that the women will get. And so men will, or the boys will be going out and doing these like scouting expeditions, these various things where they're kind of actually gaining cool life skills and having a good time. Um, but for women, it's very much more focused on homemaking and it's a lot drier. You don't really get to do anything thrilling like the young men do. Um, yeah, a lot of crafts that felt outdated. <laughs> um, and yeah, the ultimate goal is being a daughter of God, being a virtuous daughter of God who will one day marry a righteous priesthood holder. That's kind of your end goal as a woman in the Mormon church is marriage and kids. Right. So like where we would have showed up on uh, Wednesday nights, usually the the men, the boys would show up and we would learn how to like 
carve things or build things or the proper way to saw? What was a typical activity for the Wednesday nights uh, uh, for for the young women? Oh, I don't even remember. I don't know that they were um, very thought-out activities per se. So I was a young woman in England, which is like a modified version of the standard Mormon experience in young women's because I think if you know if you grow up in Utah or something you're getting like that stereotypical young women's experience whereas in England it's because there's less members and stuff it's all kind of just coddled together and they do what they can it's not these it's not as planned and well thought out as you know potentially if you're from Utah or something yeah um but yeah it would be along the lines of crafts or something related to church you know something scripture related or um Maybe there would be like a night where we would do like makeovers and, you know, like, which at the time obviously didn't feel um, negative in any way because it's just like a fun thing girls do like to do. But um, it's interesting kind of looking looking at it now through the lens of, you know, what the boys were doing versus what the girls were doing. Just how much more effort goes into what the boys do versus what girls do. I remember, like, it seemed like there was some different way to learn how to scrapbook a lot uh, uh, is the (laughs) kinds of things, because usually at the end of the evening, everybody would meet back up and you'd go and see the friends you had been flirting with or or had tension with, basically. And, yeah, they'd have like, oh, we learned how to make foam frames and how to how to. uh," And and then there was uh, plenty of like cooking things and. Uh, uh, basic, like how to stitch a dress and how to sew. Uh, I mean, it was all very like we've decided the nuclear family is what we want to see, and so this is your your good wife training program. Uh, I remember we had a seminary teacher too, who is the wife of the state president, who like spent a good amount of time during a combined activity, um, trying to convince the women to like not have any aspirations. Like it was literally just like the best thing you can do is be a wife and mother, have a hot meal ready when your husband gets home, uh, support him and all. I mean, it was literally like it's not subtle things. It's not like, hey, if you decide this is the direction you want to go, that you want to be a mother. And though if you ask them directly, they more often than not will try and speak as though it's a choice like we're just, yeah. you know, trying to equip the people who want to be mothers with this. It's it's that's not how the program is set up. It's literally these are the only resources that we're going to give you. And uh, you this is what you need to aspire to and any aspiration outside of that. It seems like they so often framed it as though that that was you being selfish. Do yeah, you know what I mean? definitely. Um, Again, slightly different experience because I was in England um, for the first part of my experience in the church and while I was in Young Women. So they they couldn't really afford to be as overt about the fact that they just wanted women to be wives and mothers in England because it's just not going to fly as well. But, I mean, there definitely was still that. Um, But when I was at BYU-Idaho, we would often have these um, devotionals every Tuesday that would be by some Mormon general authority and his wife, and it would – or just anyone, even if the wife wasn't speaking. And the message would be that delaying having children was selfish. And this was talking to college kids and at a college where a lot of people are married, which is obviously not typical for college. Um, People would get married very quickly at BYU-Idaho. So that college kids and some of them already had a kid or two kids or however many. And and the message was very strong that um, 
you know, delaying not having kids for educational or financial reasons was selfish and like God will provide and just a lot of impractical advice about family planning. Which they will use their internal welfare program when necessary and if you have enough clout really in the church to try and make that look like it's true. Like it, within the mm. church, they do have internal welfare and they also have, it's kind of like, it's like on, on a smaller scale of like Scientology. If you want to be an actor, join Scientology because they have plenty of connections in Hollywood and they've used that uh, uh, to their advantage. And it's kind of the same thing of like um, within the church because people who own landscaping companies and, and, and whatever else uh, all attend the church, they will try and network people into those companies. And, and so if you started a company and you got to the point where you could hire, you're going to feel that level of social pressure. And it really, by then, it's just social expectation that the number one place you are going to look to staff from is your church. Uh, and so basically it's, it's, trying to create that facade that it's correct, that that's actually true. Like, if you if you give it up to God first, God will always provide. But the only life you will ever know is that one. So you people think like, well, I'm, I'm not homeless, I'm not starving, I might not be doing very well, but this is the way that the church has made my life better because otherwise that would have happened. And you don't get to see unless you like get to know your like non-Mormon friends, basically, you don't get to see how much happier or better your life could have been if you had uh, accurate expectations of sex and sexuality and you had better values and ideas of when the right time to have a child is and, and the right type of person to look for. I mean, there's so much that I think a lot of people from the inside just go, well, you know, I've got a roof over my head and and I can see the way the church helped me get that and think that that, that bears out as proof. And yet it, it's like so many, so many of us on the outside of the church just wish we could lend you our brain for a moment so you could see <laughs> how much better it gets on the outside. Yeah, it makes me sad how many women and men in the Mormon church will have kids so young like for example at in college and so they've never had a chance to explore what they might want to do or you know they they haven't had a you know they're, they're barely out of their childhood homes like they really haven't had a chance to establish themselves as adults and yet they're already raising children and they're still children themselves and i've i've seen over the years like just with friends from college and stuff who are still women like how much it limits them and yeah. how much you know they they had these aspirations when I was friends with them in college and then, you know, you, you become a parent, you become a mother way too young and it just like limits everything, even down to the movies that you watch. Cause you know, you're watching kids movies all the time and women's are already kind of against R rated movies. So you're never even watching a movie that's like thought provoking kind of transformative. So there's like, so, especially if you live in sort of that Utah bubble, there's just so little, to like really stimulate and develop you as a person if you're staying within that like tight Mormon box, which they obviously encourage you to do and which most people do do. Yeah. I remember being 16 and 17 and going on group dates that would usually be to some <laughs> prominent priesthood holders home. Uh, and so there'd be parents present everywhere. So you'd be paired <laughs> off, but you'd be, not really be paired off. Nobody was making out. Uh, and and you'd literally be watching like Lion King, 
Like nothing yeah. thought. Don't get me wrong. I love the Lion King, and I am going to go see yeah. the live action one. Like absolutely. <laughs> but at a certain point, you have to watch something remotely thought provoking, and it's very unlikely that it's going to have the same rating as the Wiggles on Ice. Like, <laughs> that does sound like a good time, though. But maybe with some kind of substance to help you. Um, yeah. <laughs> the infantilization of of Mormons is is really striking um definitely the 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 way that they date is like looking back on my experience is so childlike you know a date is going to get frozen yoga or wash like you said watching some disney movie um and you, even if you're sort of an adult who's you know has a career and you're in your late 20s early 30s and you're single in mormonism everything is still so infantile in terms of dating yeah um so you, you know not that, I'm necess- not that I'm against this, but for example, a big like stereotype at BYU-Idaho was, um, you know, couples just being obsessed with making thoughts together. Like that was like peak fun <laughs> on a yeah. date. Was, oh like, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Once. <laughs> yeah. You get to do that one time. <laughs> once every yeah, five to 10 really years. Yeah. Unless you're really good at building thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're like an engineer or something. No, yeah. I, it's, yeah, you're not like like you said it's not that you're totally against it it's just that that's what is typical as though like literally the kinds of things you would do as a young teenager that might be kind of fun though it even precedes that honestly it that's that's the all the time thing i remember doing also um when i got to singles ward which if people don't know singles ward once you turn 18 they send you to a special time of day that you go to church with everybody else who is single under the age of like 30. Um, and because they're, it, it's their marriage factories. They're trying to marry you off. Uh, and I remember going to a singles ward activity that was like, we all went outside and just drew with chalk on the sidewalk. Just drew that was with a big chalk. one. Right <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not saying if, if, if a day pops up that you're like, I'd like to go and make some drawings and to go draw on the sidewalk, go draw on the sidewalk. But as a planned activity, I don't know, just absolutely bananas. You're not even allowed to draw dicks. Like there's nothing fun about it. Right. Right. Everyone pretty it's much like just Mormon.org on the sidewalk in Rexburg. It's like who in Rexburg do you think doesn't know about Mormon.org? <laughs> yeah. I think for ours, I remember everybody like drawing, writing their own name mostly. Like just trying to draw it as clever as possible. And then they hosed it within a day or two. Like it was, it, it's not like it's a mural that stayed up somewhere or something. It was just chalking on the, it's, and there's something funny that happens when you get a bunch of Mormons together. It's like they get drunk without drinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they get it's, hyper like children. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's just like that. A lot that. of sugar is a lot of events. My uh, so that same ex I was talking about, we ended up having a barbecue for um, it must have been like one of the one of the later in the year, like Memorial Day kind of things. But it was in Wyoming and it was quite cold out Um, and it (laughs) they had a like a, a standing pool there, like one of those above ground pools. And we invited a bunch of Mormon kids around, including my brother. And at one point during the night, they just are all acting bananas. And they and like four of them strip off their shirts and jump in the freezing pool. But for no reason, like there's no payoff. The payoff was, oh, my God, they jumped in the pool. 
and that's it. <laughs> like the that has to get that kick somehow. The, yeah, it's just there's no ways to really let off steam. So you know you have to find those weird outlets. If you repress something, it just comes out in weirder ways. Yeah. So something I wanted to ask, is, trying to pull back to the original topic here, because I'm really good at going down tangents and stuff. Something I wanted to ask you if you saw yourself in, on the priesthood side of things, when I went to activities, they almost like proactively try to head off arguments that you're going to hear from people as you go throughout your life. And so the inequality between men and women, which Mormonism only, uh, uh, Mormonism only accepts those to gender identities and nowadays like who they will even accept as trans is there are some people that it seems like again this they if anything is sometimes half accepted it's not actually accepted but something that they actually acknowledge is a thing they somewhat acknowledge that binary trans people exist um and you see people like do you remember the video we did a while back samantha with that guy from three mormons who was yeah. like very trans accepting but that's completely against yeah, the church yeah the papa Oswald guy who isn't one of the three mormons but yeah they had him on the show and he's definitely the peak of mormon acceptance of lgbt people and and so anyway basically like you everything's split up men and women and those are the only two that they really accept and on the on the men's side one of the argument that they would like get you prepared for was the idea that women weren't equal to men because they couldn't have the priesthood. And they had this like really dumb uh, argument of like, well, men, they do get the priesthood, but women get to have children, which is even more important. Like that's way, yeah, that a way higher calling. Did you get any of that? Yeah, that, the having children was definitely seen as the, well, that's even more sacred. And, and also you'd hear the argument of um, just so many benevolent sexist arguments, like yeah. women are so special, they don't need the priesthood. <laughs> women are so special, they don't need to be equal. Um, and, you <laughs> yeah. know, the argument that, um, you know, men and women are different and it's not, um, a man can never have children, can never birth a baby, so therefore it's the same as the priesthood, this thing that we could give to them. <laughs> Which, the like shitty backhanded thing about that is that it totally devalues people who want to have kids that physically can't. Uh, and, yeah. It, and it, yeah, and it devalues also those people who genuinely don't want to. And beyond devaluing it, it, it uh, pressures them into having those children anyway. As we see secularism rise, we're seeing more and more people make the choice for themselves that they don't want to have children, which kind of goes to show you that these religions that put such a heavy emphasis on it are honestly, I mean, it's emotional blackmail, but you can call it whatever you want. They are compelling people to have children who don't want to have children. And that's just bananas. I, I, I use the word bananas yeah. too much. <laughs> and it's worth noting that, um, you know, the church has a whole market research team and they are well aware that the best way to get people to maintain faith and activity in the Mormon church is for them to go on a mission and then as soon as possible after that mission, get married and have kids. Like the reason they're um, promoting marriage and kids so fervently is because they know that that keeps people in the church. Because if you're in a marriage and you're questioning, you know, you kind of feel this sense of duty to your spouse to stay faithful. So it's way harder to, you know, 
fully let yourself explore your questions if you're in a marriage or if you have kids, partly just because you're busier. If you're looking after kids, you don't have time to be questioning the Mormon church. You know, you're just yeah. trying to like get through the week and it's hard having kids, especially so young and especially several of them. Um, yeah. So yeah, the church peddles all these ideas because they know that that's how they get people to stay. They know that right. if you're single, you're more likely to leave. You're more likely to, you know, fall out of activity. Yeah, it's it's literally like any abusive relationship. One of the one common thing that happens in abusive relationships is the individual, the abuser will try and make you dependent on their existence. So you can't leave. And so that is how. Yeah. When you have so many kids so quickly, you don't feel like anything else is uh, plausible. Did you ever see also? I, I imagine so, because I've seen this all over the place, the emphasis and the like spotlight they would put on women who couldn't have children, but ended up having a child anyway, like somehow medically it happened for them, but they had been told a lot that it wasn't going to happen. And basically their stories of prayer and fasting and things making that happen. Uh, and basically, basically putting women like that on a pedestal almost as an example of like, well, see, if, if they say you can't have kids, you still can as long as you are a good enough member of the church, further making the people who couldn't, further making the people who uh, uh, had conditions that prevented it, but then were going through all of the, the God stuff they were supposed to, to make it, to make God accept their prayers and give them a child, further making them feel like just complete shit about themselves because now they had examples of not just that they had this physical limitation, but if they couldn't overcome it, they weren't good enough for God to, to fix it. Did you ever see any of that? Yeah, I think every Mormon has heard that, you know, faith promoting story of, um, yeah, the woman who was told she couldn't get pregnant or was or another one you hear is she was told she should have an abortion because the baby was going to be ill in some way. Anyway, yeah, you always hear those stories. They're always very uh, loose. Nobody like really knows the person who it happened to. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's not it's not an acceptable attitude for a woman in the Mormon Church to have to be you know to just not want children. Like that's not acceptable. That's not even it's not even considered like a viable avenue. It's like, if you don't want children, then you are, there's something about you that is not faithful to God or, you know, you're not understanding the plan of salvation or right. there wasn't anyone in Mormonism who you'd meet who was like, yeah, I just don't really want kids. Like that is kind of fundamentally in opposition to Mormon doctrine and what they teach. Yeah. yeah. And it was so, like, yeah, it's only oh, sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, it's just been interesting leaving Mormonism and realizing how much guilt there is for women who struggle with fertility issues. And fertility yeah. issues are really common. Um, I, I've just noticed how many Mormon women will be so deeply affected because, you know, they're unable to get pregnant for, say, six months, which isn't a crazy amount of time to not be able to get pregnant for. That doesn't necessarily even indicate fertility issues. Um, but it's it's such a big thing. And it it's so t it's a so tied to faith you know if you're if you want something you need to be faithful enough to get it and then when you don't get it it's your fault so then you double down more and it kind of is just this self-reinforcing cycle all of it leading back to you just becoming more devoted to the church yeah it's dangerous too like if you are if you are fetishizing essentially these humans that defied their doctor's 
recommendation to evacuate a pregnancy that is dangerous and someone takes that advice, they can die or do other lasting damage. One of the uh, uh, one of the danger to the mothers doesn't just include death, but actually like if we take care of this now, your chances of having a child again in the future are okay. If you don't and you see this through, not only is this child, not, or not only is this fetus not ever going to be a child, not only is this not going, this pregnancy not going to work out, you are going to do lasting damage that prevents the likelihood of you ever having kids in the future. And so the consequences aren't just death, it's literally, if it is a person who actually does want to have children and that's an honest value they've come by, you can cut that off. And to say that like your faith and the prayers and the your confidence God will take care of you should come in higher than that that uh, whatever your doctor is recommending you is dangerous in so many friggin' ways. Yeah, and of course you never hear, you only ever hear the faith-affirming story. You never hear the story of the woman who defied her doctor's advice and it turned out badly. Yeah. Somebody was asking too what Mormons feel about adoption. Um, I do know there is adoption that goes on. It's it's kind of interesting. I have six adopted, uh, adopted siblings, so uh, it it a very high value in my in my family. However, I did notice growing up that you didn't usually see a lot of other adopted kids around. So uh, I do think there is a higher priority on having your own children because, you know, we we chose our families before we came to Earth, which is an actual Mormon uh, teaching that we all lived basically together in what was called the pre-existence before we were born. And we chose our families then and that the way our families are united is via this method and but then like it also gets thrown into disarray because if you do have a, an adopted child who gets sealed to you that child was also your choice in the pre-existence which kind of means like i have two i have two siblings who uh, are biological siblings to each other and basically they're my siblings because their mother did meth so like their mother had to do meth and had to fuck up one of my siblings' brains a lot for God's plan of our family to be together to happen. Like, it's, there's so much fucked up about the whole concept in general, uh, uh, but this is just the, the local uh, to my life application of it. Like, really all of my adopted siblings come from really fucked up backgrounds and for all of them to get to us, that was necessary, but we planned this in advance. But, you know, you have free will. Like, there's just so much about it that contradicts. Yeah. Mormons also have um, this idea that there are all these spirit children in heaven waiting to come down and get a body, which is mm -hmm. why even though adoption is, like, not frowned upon or anything in the church, it's definitely... Um, you know, the average Mormon couple would not consider adoption unless there was maybe a fertility issue, I think is maybe the, the general, um, generally how it is. But um, yeah, so they think the the important thing is to, to pump out as many children as possible because all these kids in heaven are just desperate to get bodies yeah. and come down to earth, good Mormon families. So yeah, I, I do think that's a reason adoption isn't as common as it maybe could be. They also believe, so there's this weird thing about like, we needed to come here to get a body and we needed to be tested. This is a really important part of God's plan. But any child that dies before being baptized at eight years old 
is automatically guaranteed to go to the highest level of heaven, which generally you only get there if you are perfect or if you get a second anointing by the church, basically if you're in the highest leadership of the church, you're guaranteed no matter what quote-unquote sins you've ever committed to go to the highest level. And the celestial kingdom is where you become a god yourself if you're a man and where you become a polygamist wife if you are a woman and you pop out spirit babies for all of eternity. Um, the uh, uh, So the weird thing about this is like, <laughs> I remember asking my dad about this when I was pretty young, probably like 13 or 14. But like, if you genuinely believed that, wouldn't you be the most selfish person in the world for not murdering all of your children before they turned eight years old? Because you could guarantee them the greatest eternal existence and only at the cost of your own, which you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even not be guaranteed heaven, just not the highest level of heaven, probably, but like it seems like exceptions can be made anyway. So there, there are just these really weird rules that if, if anybody actually believed some of the more bizarre ones, I think you would see them play those out in much more radical ways. Yeah, it gets messy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I remember like, I think I think what I when I brought it up when I was 13 or 14, 12 or 13, I think, actually, uh, when I brought it up, I think it was actually that I was kind of bitter. I was already super depressed and suicidal all the time. So I think I was actually like upset at that time, like, hey, I would have been I wouldn't have to do any of this. I wouldn't have to work hard to get to heaven at all if you had just killed me or even let me die. Why didn't you just not vaccinate me? Like, why didn't, why, <laughs> maybe that's why so many Mormon moms are anti-vax now. They just want to see their kids get, uh, uh, holy, holy moly. So somebody, uh, somebody in the chat says, so much meth here in Tullahoma and there's a high Mormon population only outranked by Baptists. How do Mormons feel about meth? Well, they don't like meth. I'll tell you that. They think any kind of drug use and intake is you just being super sim sinful. But the reason why I noticed your message, I actually went to the Mormon church. I, uh, uh, I'm not going to give away too much, but my dad was a bishop in the Tullahoma area once upon a time. So come and dox me, y'all. <laughs> but anyway, that, that drew my eye. Small world. Okay. I don't remember what I was saying before that. Uh, meth. What do Mormons think about meth, Samantha? <laughs> you know, I'd say they're against it. Yeah. But they're yeah. also against a lot of the mental health practices that kind of help people not get on meth. There's there's a fucked up idea <laughs> of uh, what causes addiction in Mormonism. And depending on where you are and the accessibility of things, they will try and keep your mental health treatment within the church too. So uh, I yeah. had been self-harming as a teenager and was sent to therapy in the same building I went to church in with a therapist who attended a different time slot but attended the Mormon church and who had a heavily Mormon uh, uh, perspective on. Th so I mean like my therapy included prayer and scripture reading. It was like, let me teach you these breathing exercises, which have been known to help, but make sure as you're doing it, you're also, you know, saying prayers and, and these mantras that are re so religiously based. They will, they don't want to, they don't want you to free think, which is a large reason why they have been so opposed to drugs like cannabis uh, and, and, and the like, because as soon as you smoke weed, you see, you, all the connections of how Joseph Smith really could have made it all up just show up. 
Um, yep. <laughs> but then they also haven't taken other things very seriously in the past. Like for Mormonism, which people like to rewrite history and make it look like prophets predicted all these kinds of things that were plaguing society and using the loosest possible connections. But there was no prediction of this opioid epidemic, which is hitting Mormon families, too. There was no prediction of climate change because there's still a lot of climate change deniers within the church. And even if they accepted it would happen, they would just say it's a sign of the times coming to an end. Like they're not there. They, they would point to the Book of Mormon like, oh, well, look, the Book of Mormon says in the last days, we're going to start to see the worst storms ever. And they would think it was just a, f a fulfillment of, of these prophecies. So it's. Yeah, we've gone all over the place here. Mormons don't like meth, but obviously as ex-anti-Mormons, we most we must both love it. Yes, love meth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we're about an hour into the program here. What we usually do now is we will switch over to reading and responding to Super Chats and those questions. Uh, as I say every week, I know a lot of people leave at this point. I will tell you a lot of the conversations that pop up in response to the questions. Obviously, there are going to be some super chats that are just people being like, love the show. But other people ask questions. And a lot of times, some of the most fun conversations actually come in response to those. Uh, so that is what we are going to head to next. I, I feel like we it's mostly my fault because of all the tangents. We kind of like teased. We'll be talking more about young women's organization and things of that nature. We'll probably do the opposite with Tanner next week. We'll probably talk about uh, what it was like growing up as in the priesthood, having the priesthood power, being told at 12 years old that we have more authority from God in our pinkies than the Pope does in his entire body. <laughs> I'm, that was an actual thing that was told to me at one point, which is kind of like... That's fun. It turns out neither of like us had any kid? Oh, yeah. I, I remember one time thinking I was controlling the actual wind, that I was telling the wind oh. went. It was on a day that there was lots of wind coming up and down, uh, uh, and I thought I was having an influence on it. I also once had a teacher before I was even I had the priesthood. I had a teacher who was uh, a substitute teacher who was just like really mean, just kind of always on guard. So someone would ask if they could go on the bathroom and she would respond with like, do you think I'm that stupid? Like, I'm just going to let you leave the classroom, things of that nature. And I just really, really disliked her. So I wasn't even, I wasn't even 12 yet, but I literally like in my brain was like, I bless that. Uh, I bless you on the priesthood that I will one day hold that your mind is going to be changed when a child saves your life. And I basically like condemned her in my mind. I, I performed essentially a spell on on some magic I hadn't even acquired yet. I hadn't gotten my Hogwarts letter and I was condemning her to a near death experience that would be uh, that she would be saved from a, a child by. And in my mind, it was going to be something like almost drives off a cliff kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And now I'm Dumbledore. <clears throat> I'm the Dumbledore of atheism. Um, anyway, we'll uh, we'll start running through. Do you do you have any final thoughts you wanted to share on the Young Women's Program? I guess before we do, like don't don't let your children near this kind of thing. Yeah, it's not a good thing. <laughs> Sometimes I hear ex-Mormons say that they uh, are still going to church a little bit because they want their kids to have 
um, good morals or they want their kids to be kind of raised in the church. And I think that's a bad call. Yeah, I 100% agree. All right, so we have a couple of blank super chats to start here, so I'll just issue a thank you. First of all, thank you to Lucy Fur, who, besides being uh, uh, so supportive of the channel, is also one of your wonderful mods tonight. Let's see who else showed up here. I think I saw Nikki was here as well as maybe that was it. Uh, but make sure if you're in the live chat, let the mods know you love them and tell them thank you because they are seriously so wonderful. Lucy also is all over the place, and it was her son, Blake, who I called Ty at the beginning of the show, who made that song that we let in with. Uh, uh, make sure you say thank you, because seriously, they are they are wonderful people, and Lucy in particular does way more than way more for me than I deserve. Uh, also, thank you to Destiny and Alyssa. Yabba Dabber Do says, "I was just standing here. Jesus locked himself in the closet." Uh, so that is that is a reference to we did a show earlier this week. Uh, Girl Defined teamed up with Paul and Morgan. Do you know who all those individuals are? Unfortunately. They te they did a team up, and at one point, uh, Bethany said something along the lines of Jesus belonging in the closet, but <clears throat> more in referencing modesty and how, yeah, it, but it, it, it just sounded funny. Uh, Saber8M, oh, you know what? I am actually, that's why I am reading the super chats from that one. My mistake. It's all in a line here. So it still started with Lucy, but then McGay says, Hi, I'm writing this before the live stream, so I'm not sure if it's relevant, but do you think more women in leadership positions in the church will help to improve how women are seen and treated by members of the church? What do you think, Samantha? Well, it's tough because what would more women in leadership positions really look like in Mormonism? Um, because obviously, mm -hmm because they don't have the priesthood, they can't have certain leadership positions. So there has been kind of a an increase in in female prominence, like at general conference and stuff. It's still really bad, but you know, now they had a woman do the opening prayer for general conference for the first time ever. I think it was like last year or a couple of years ago, really recently. Um, so there's things like that, but I don't really feel like they're helping really drive Mormonism towards equality at all because at the end of the day like however m prominently featured the Mormon women leaders are which means you know they're the leaders of the Relief Society or the Young Women's Organization they're still just in what are like lower positions even if the church tries to act like it's the same like there's a reason that Mormon you know men speak way more in conference than women women get like tiny slots to speak in and they always talk about motherhood or kids and yeah so i don't really know if there's a way the mormon church can really do it without giving women the priesthood because they you know you can't have a woman be bishop you can't have them be in actually prominent positions because those positions depend on you having the priesthood yeah also <laughs> there's like there's something that's difficult something that i really struggle with too and that is do I want the church to become more palatable or do I want the church to end? And I lean toward on a, I mean, my idealism, my ideal outcome is the church ends, but I also understand that there are people's lives at stake and there's lots of ways in which the church could become more palatable that, for example, might reduce the number of children killing themselves for being members of the GRSM community. Like that's, that would be nice to curb and get rid of but so so 
there is that conflict of like, I would like this to see the church end because it's a fabrication. Like it, it just isn't true. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would very much like to see the church go down, but I would also like in the meantime, because it's not going to happen overnight to see things like women be treated better. I also don't think it's going to happen though. Like women being wives and mothers, there are certain things about the church that almost can't change because they've committed it to their temple ceremonies and things of that nature. And that's, I mean, this is the reason why they're not budging right now on gay marriage is that they think it's God's plan for men and women to be together. And so now they will finally acknowledge that that's more complicated, but they're still not budging on allowing it to happen in their meeting houses. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a tough one. Also, did you hear that just this year, they apparently they just made it okay for women to give the closing prayer and the final talk in sacrament meeting? Like oh, I regular. didn't even know women weren't allowed to give the final talk. Yeah, it, it was that that's always, only a priesthood holder because only he has the uh, wow. he has the added authority to speak as God would want him to. But yeah, they just, that was their like answer to women in the priesthood. Like, what if we give them responsibilities nobody even wants? Like, nobody cares about school. <laughs> what if we extend to them what people dread in the hallways when the bishop is heading toward them that they might be asked to do? What if that? Then we good. Thank you, Renee Holloway. Jeanette Barajas. Barajas says, can't watch now, but take my free money. Thank you. Yes, that's true. You get two free $2 or one. I don't know. You get if you're a, a YouTube premium member, you get one or two free super chats a month. Uh, Yvonne, thank you. Aussie Atheist. Jimmy, I'm Mr. Atheist, and I'll be your daddy. Well, thank you. Uh, Grace Bowser, thank you. And they said thank you. Jasmine K, thank you. Lucy Fur, what is her cat's name? I have two cats. One is called Bernie and one is called Banksy. And Bernie has an Elizabeth Warren collar on, right? Yeah, I mean, he's actually Senator Bernie Sanders, but goes by Bernie, and he does yeah. have a purposed collar. Good, good, yeah, yeah. Uh, Faina ISN wrote, I'm broke right now, but still support your amazing work. Well, thank you so much. But remember, people never pick your life over supporting the, like, pick yourself first, always. Um, Danny Golighty, love you, land daddy, sexy pineapple. I'm a pumpkin now, don't forget that. Pagan <laughs> Phoenix, I came out as a gay trans male today. So far, it seems to go pretty well. Happy Pride and stay awesome. That is amazing. I'm really, really glad oh, you're somewhere. Pretty. Yeah, I'm glad you're somewhere that, that is accepting of you. And I know a lot of people, like, for example, I doubt you're in Utah because I don't think those usually, those coming out days usually go so well. You'll get a lot of, I love you. I just don't agree with your lifestyle. Like, like was said on that. Say again. I said, I love you, but. Yeah, exactly. I okay. don't hate you. I just hate everything about you. Um, Meredith Nevin, I can't listen because I have to work. You're so awesome for talking about this stuff. Love you, man. Thank you so much. Uh, she is also called the Aussie Atheist, but there was someone else called Aussie Atheist in these live chats, but she has a channel called something like Austra Aussie Atheist, something like that. I, I can't remember the name of that. I'm really bad at remembering names of stuff, and I feel like a jerk every time it happens, but it's, it's what I'm bad at. 
Lance Ivory, as a trans guy going through the young women's program was hell. Yeah, Oof. I can only imagine. Um, lasagna. Hey, Jimmy, have you seen Listen to the Book of Mormon musical? If so, did you like it? And is it accurate? Samantha, I'm going to let you answer, actually. Have you seen it? I've heard it. I've not seen it. It's so good. Yeah. It. Mormonism aside, I think it has the best choreography of any Broadway show I've ever seen. <laughs> it is very true to life. Yeah. Um, obviously satirized, so it's extreme in some ways, but yeah, it's brilliant. Right. I love it. Did you have that TBM whisper every now and then where you're like, well, that's not exactly perfect. Yeah, yeah. But you, you, for the most part, like you can tell they really understand Mormon culture and yeah. obviously they've turned it into this funny thing that's kind of a bit out there. But yeah, there's a lot of understanding behind the writing. Yep. Uh, let's see. Brutus Magnuson, straight hugs for bully victims. Shirt, should I for pride? Yeah. I don't think you need to add the straight part. But you could just say yeah. hugs for victims, maybe, uh, uh, or or something like that. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't broadcast that you're straight up right or anything. I'm just saying it. I'm not sure it's uh, super relevant to the point. But if if that's the shirt and it's already made, go for it. <laughs> Sarah Duckstep, by the way, uh, if you all didn't see on Instagram that this lovely human being next to me digitally right now and Tanner joined me in Denver at Pride and we did a Q&A on Instagram. It was amazing. It's unfortunately, I think it went away after 24 hours, which is sad to me, but uh, we'll do more together because it turns out you can digitally like link up on Instagram and stuff too. And so you should be following both of our Instagram, Zelf on the Shelf and Dear Mr. Atheist. Uh, Sarah Duckstad, thank you. Spoons down. Thank you for putting your channel up to talk about this stuff. It's super important. So here's the rest of my paycheck, sugar daddy. Oh, thank you so much. And that was extremely, extremely generous. I, again, as long as you're not picking like me over eating, I very much appreciate that. If that is what you did, please message me so I can get you your money back. <laughs> um, Jacob Kilpack to both. Do you ever entertain missionaries now? I have had a few um, situations since leaving the church where they've knocked at my door and I've uh, kind of tried to plant some seeds of doubt in them. Um, but I think the more time's gone on, the less I can really, the less I really want to engage. I do, because I live in Salt Lake, I see a lot of missionaries every day and I always just feel a bit like my heart is going out for them. They look so young and yeah. it just so terrible. <laughs> Also, it's real missionaries are going to be the hardest people to argue with, not because they're better at arguing, uh, but because so with Telltale and I did our thing, we scored on a Fibonacci scale. So the highest you could score was a 21, 21 or is 23 the upper end of a Fibonacci? Let's go with 21. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, and when it comes to regular Mormons, you already had a high average of anywhere from like 11 to, to 14 is, is what the average score on all of these bite model things would be. But like with missionaries, the way they have to live their life, if you just took missionary Mormonism and you assess that against the cult, mo the, the bite model for whether it's a cult, it's like 21 after 21 after 21. So it's not that they're any good at these conversations. It's that this is what they are living and uh, uh, Tanner and I, will, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit because of some of his stories, like the ways they will do mental gymnastics to make their doubts 
the things that prove it to them more. The fact that they have doubts are proof that the church is true. I mean, the level of they have detached from reality is is extreme. Um, so missionaries aren't usually very useful to, to have those conversations with, but if you are going to have those conversations, make sure you are well-versed on the CES letter. That would be, that's the best way to go about it. Just don't mention the CES letter or they'll put an immediate <laughs> yeah. wall up. Just another Exmo. Thank you for being my atheist family. My Mormon family doesn't know I'm atheist. Uh, my atheist family doesn't know I'm really Mormon. No, I'm kidding. No, no, no. Well, I'm, I'm very happy you're here. And I'm, I'm so glad that this channel is finally like reaching ex-Mormons. Obviously, uh, atheism in general was always a topic I wanted to, to cover and stuff. But I've noticed an increased engagement in people who who were ex-Mormons. And that's who I made the channel originally for. So I'm, I'm glad that that is uh, that is improving. And I'm glad to have Samantha and Tanner as my atheist family. Sister wives. Gaelic Knox, yes, the three of us together. Gaelic Knox, uh, people were scared to at you on Discord, so I'm proving a point that you're not scary. I am not scary. Uh, I only probably pop into Discord. I'm trying to pop into Discord more often, um, but it's not super often. Like, I'm, I'm hoping that I can pop in and have at least one conversation with people there like three times a week. Uh, I am bad enough at time management as it is, and there's so much to do. Uh, Unholy Sarah, this stream is helping my depression. Thank you. I think everything Samantha does helps all of our depression. Guys. <laughs> uh, let's see. My depression. <laughs> it's funny because there are days where like, I'm in a slump, and I'll know I have a live show, and I'll force myself to do it, and then I always think like, why was it so hard to force myself? Like that slump I was in, I know I'll feel better if I do the live show. Like I know engaging with people like you and then the live chat and everything, it always makes me feel better. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, this, is, this is the best therapy. Banksy's really trying to get on the live stream. Come on over, Banksy. Hi, what do you think of the Mormon church? Thoughts, feelings? That's my reincarnated granddad. <laughs> Mormons don't really believe in that. Don't don't take that rumor and run, run with it. Um, Gray Skeptic, thank you. Gray Skeptic is also another individual with a channel and just a great all-around dude. Faina ESN says, quick, Skittles or M&Ms? Skittles. M&Ms. I, I can't choose M&Ms. Okay, if, if we were talking about a different country's M&Ms, then maybe. But American M&Ms are garbage. That's a good point. Yeah, the crispy ones are kind of okay, uh, but yeah, I really, I love German M and M's. They flavor the shells, and they're just the chocolate inside is really good. Yeah, Aussie Atheist says, "Can I put Samantha on my shelf, please?" That's like some straight up serial killer stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'll try anything once. Yep. All right. Good. Huna. Uh, Hunnilevan, Hunnilevan, both of you, what's the best book you ever read? Oof. Do you want to get best? No, I don't know. I have no idea. I, um, Mine is go ahead. The best book I've ever read is called Sapiens. It's by Yuval Noah Harari. He's a historian 
and it is just a book that details our evolution as humans from you know when we were hunter gatherers all the way through to today and it, every atheist should read that book because it is it just blows so many ideas that we all have about reality and society out of the water it like shatters your worldview in so many ways and just shows you how obsessed humans are with storytelling and how much what we think of as kind of reality or what we take for granted as reality is just a really elaborate story um so yeah when when recent ex-mormons ask ask me um like for resources i recommend i always tell them sapiens but honestly any human being sapiens i think it's like the atheist bible okay I, I will now read that, too, on your recommendation. I think Shannon Q recommended that book also while she was on at one point. Um, this is a really hard question for me because, first of all, I only read, like, obviously you gave a non-fantasy answer, uh, but I only read, like, non-fiction, or I only read fiction as a teenager, really. Um, I And so I could give you the kinds of books I most enjoy reading about, which it's a lot of, like, refugee stories and stuff. I think in the past... I had mentioned my favorite book. I can't even remember the title of it because, again, Jimmy is really bad with names. But I think it was called Nothing to Envy. And it's literally story after story of these, like, uh, uh, people who escape North Korea and their secret, like, the secret love affairs they had in North Korea because they couldn't do it publicly, but also the stories of their escapes and things. And I love reading about, I love reading refugee stories. I love reading I love reading about North Korea also in general. So I think I've said that was my favorite book in the past, I, but it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't read in a way that much could ever be a favorite. And then obviously there's all the, always the classics of, as far as atheism goes. I, I love everything, not everything, but I love a lot of Christopher Hitchens writings and such. Um, but yeah, so probably, I don't know, some book about refugees. As far as fantasy goes, uh, R.A. Salvatore had a, has a really good series of books that are like that take place in the same universe as Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and there's this dark elf called Dritzt, and it's a wonderful series. But there's tons of those books. Um, let's see, Tiana Kendrick, what uh, was there any situation to giving of giving their child up? Tiana Kendrick, was there any situation of giving their child up? I don't understand the context of the question. Um, I, th I think this must have been when we were talking about adoption and such. And I wouldn't say, if you're asking whether or not the church is accepting of people giving up children for adoption, I can't say I rem remember them giving any kind of public statement on it. However, I don't imagine the church the type of things that they value and the types of things that they shame, I imagine a person making that choice for themselves would feel incredibly like a, like a shit person. Um, they do. Um, sometimes when teenagers have got pregnant, they, and they'll be okay with the, the teenager giving a child up for adoption. And it's, but it's always needs to be through, the LDS adoption services. It always yeah. needs to go to another Mormon family. That's like the main emphasis. Yeah. And I know I've also seen them encouraged to even like, if you need to give your child up, give it up to your parents or something like that. Like trying yeah. to even keep it within your family. I think I've, I, I know I've seen things like that happen. Uh, Jack L. Frost says this message is not funny. Pumpkins. That's kind of funny. 
Uh, Brutus Magnuson, you need Jesus. His tacos are amazing. I'd eat some Jesus tacos. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. You thought there was only enough tacos for one of us, and then there was enough tacos to feed the multitude. Um, do you ever, do you still ever yell things like, I'm exceedingly astonished? Do you ever do any of that? <laughs> Sometimes there's the Mormon vocab, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does this bring back any memories? I don't know if this will for you because you, you, you uh, came a little later in life. So our brother thinks he can build a ship. No? Okay. I assure you there's a number of ex-Mormons watching right now who know exactly what I'm talking about. We had these living scripture cartoons, and that's like what we watched on Sunday after church was cartoons of the Book of Mormon stories. And that was Laman, what Laman sounded like when he was trying to like mock Nephi for building a ship. And he comes up, so our brother thinks he can build a <laughs> ship. Yeah. Jacob My Steelpack. boyfriend did another that he knows that. What's that? Never mind. Oh, something about your boyfriend. Yeah, okay. He knows the story, yeah. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Jacob Kilpack, when I was on a mission, I thought I had cast demons out of a house and a man who, in hindsight, really should have seen a doctor. Lots of regrets. I've, I've heard many of those stories, and I have a brother who also thought he was under a witch's spell when he was a missionary in Guatemala. Yeah, that witches were going around cursing them for being Mormon missionaries, as witches do. As they do. Yuhan Roderick, Pumpkin, keep up the good work. Thank you. Hex Decimals, your Mormon therapist story reminded me of a time where I was really having a bad panic attack. To calm me down, my dad made me repeat, Jesus loves me over and over, as if knowing that would help. Which kind of brings me to like, they will do things that are parallel to actually helpful things. And because it seems like it works, you think it was Jesus loving you and not just focusing on a repetitive statement that for some people in certain types of panic attacks can be useful. Uh, Jack L. Frost. Also, this is literally Russian funding collusion. Awesome. Thank you, Jack. Uh, Johan Roderick. Also, Jared Leto is the worst joker. I still don't necessarily agree. Uh, Max Hopkins, I think that what bothers me most is how hypocritical the message is. Women should have kids, but my choice to have a child as a single person through artificial insemination was so wrong, and both me and my child are going to hell. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even think I, I don't think I ever saw firsthand some single person wanting to have a child themselves. I don't know if you did in the church or not. No, it's not really a thing that happens, is it? No, and even when you get a divorce, like not only are you going to feel shamed for that, there will be an expectation for you to remarry as quickly as possible. Like nuclear yeah. families or bust is is the church. Mary White, thank you. Lucy Fur, free mom hugs and FYI, Jimmy is amazing and treats me well. He appreciates me and I him. She's saying that because somebody in the live chat, she just sent me screenshots, was apparently trying to like shit on me not appreciating her enough. I don't know how to appreciate a person more than I appreciate Lucy because I don't appreciate anyone else more than I appreciate Lucy. She does so much. So I thank you very much for, for sticking up for me, Lucy, there. Uh, McKay, pro-gamer move. Obtain, obtain second anointing, then abort all the children. Ah, that's a good one. 
Viviana B., as a trans woman growing up in the Mormon church, those entire weeks alone in the woods with only a bunch of teenage boys to accompany you was interesting. I know of what you speak, and you, <laughs> lots of weird things would happen. You'd confess lots of weird things to each other, and then you'd look at each other weird at church the following Sunday. <laughs> Lisa M., any tips on how to survive living with homophobic, controlling, very religious family members as a queer agnostic? Sam? Uh, I guess my main advice would be to have some kind of practice or whatever that helps you stay really kind of rooted in yourself so that when they inevitably do go off and or belittle you or whatever it is, you, you are kind of like firm in that foundation. So I really yeah. like meditation. It doesn't have to be that, but just something that helps you stay very centered, grounded, so that no matter how, what they do, because it sounds like it's like inevitable that they're going to be shitty. Um, yeah. you're, you're kind of able to protect yourself as much as you can. I think that's really good. Uh, only thing I would add to that is find a community outside of your family too, because there are yeah. going to be times where you need basically a second family to make you feel better about your shit first family. Yep. And then Danny Golightly wrote, Correction, Sexy Pumpkin. Well, thank you very much. Uh, uh, I'm good with just being a pumpkin pumpkin, but also I think you put the emoji for an orange on, but you know, I still love you all the same. Uh, that is it for tonight. We're going to finish with letting Sam have the, the final words here and just let you know where you can find her channel, what kind of content they make very similar to the introduction here. Uh, but otherwise, thank you everybody for, for showing up. Uh, thank you, Nikki adulting for last moment putting, thank you for helping me decide, uh, decide being an atheist is okay. Sorry, the word was put together and I got confused, but uh, yeah, no, thank you very much. Thank you for your last moment super chat. Otherwise, Samantha, take it away and then we will see you all tomorrow on tomorrow's live show. Cool, yeah. You can find me and Tana, the other person I do the channel with at Zelf on the Shelf on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Um, as I said, our content is mainly geared towards ex-Mormons, but we do kind of venture into um atheism maybe sort of psychology mindfulness stuff too and yeah we would love your support very cool bye everyone do i have the right one here there we go they can still hear us just so you know, okay, just know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give it a we'll, we'll let the song play and then cool. i'll see you in a moment